know, there's just no funky way to walk up to that music, man. It's just, it's just cool. I like it, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's above my funk grade. How's that? I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, but that's cool stuff. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. I'm glad that you are here. Um, I was uh, um, just looking at my notes here and um, reminded that hey, next week is a big deal. Next week is Baptism Sunday. And uh, we're going to be doing that at Ron and Peggy Marsh's house uh, in the evening, four to six. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about um, baptism. It's it is a big deal. And so, what I we just want to encourage everybody. Even if you're not getting baptized, even if you don't know anybody who's getting baptized, come celebrate with the people who are getting baptized, because we are essentially um, welcoming welcoming them into the family. Um, that God has created for them. And, and the, the thing that strikes me over and over and over again is the fact that people know that God loves them when we love them. And the easiest way you can do that is just to be present with them. And so want to just invite all of you to come out. Um, there's going to be pizza and soda and that kind of stuff uh, afterwards. Real excited about it. So the best thing you can do is register so that we have enough pizza for everybody, okay? Or not have too much pizza because it all comes home with me. And I don't necessarily want to bring that much pizza home. So in order for us to get um, a number of, um, or a good head count, you know, register, let us know that you're coming out and be part of the baptism service. Uh, as of right now, I know there's gonna be two, might be more, we'll see how that all pans out. But anyway, I'm, I'm just excited about it. Um, so, if you're interested in being baptized, come talk to me. Um, I'm not that scary, I promise. <laughs> but I really want to really chat with you uh, about that possibility. <clears throat> and we'll um, um, get that thing all scheduled. Now, the interesting thing is, though, when we, when we first were putting this on the calendar, we're thinking, it... Yes, Lord. <laughs> That was fun. Um, so when we were first thinking about this, uh, looking at the calendar, August, Oklahoma. And typically, hot. Those are the three words that often collide in the same sentence, right? Although apparently a cold front's moving in <laughs> towards the end of the week. So I have really no idea what this is going to be like. But anyway, it'll be fun. And it doesn't matter anyway because the Lord's going to be honored and he's going to be there and it'll be an exciting thing. So next week, Sunday, big deal, 21st. We're doing uh, baptism and uh, make sure that you register online so that we get a good head count for food and for fun. Okay, so we finally moved out of 2 Samuel chapter 5 uh, last week. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this a little bit and I thought, you know, the last four weeks have been very instructive. They've been instructive, like, well, in content. I mean, we've, we learned some stuff, right? I mean, just the idea of what the difference is between making a request of God and inquiring of God was, was huge for me. I'd, I think it was a really useful distinction. Um, but I think we also learned a little bit about, or at least I learned a little bit about the character of God, specifically how he often will communicate to us, especially in his word, um, because over the course of the last four weeks or so, I would be in the midst of prepping for one message and the Lord would show me what he wanted to do the following week, which, by the way, I love. That's awesome when that happens 
because sometimes you don't, you, don't, you don't get that luxury and the Lord makes you work a little harder for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes when you're reading the text, things like that will occur. It's not you know, completely uncommon. And so when you open your Bible, one of the things that, or a couple of things that I want you to, to think about or to consider as, you, as you're reading is make sure that you're reading until something gets your attention. Now, I know there are a lot of those Bible reading plans where you're only supposed to read a chapter um, or, or two or something you know, before you go to bed at night. Or, you know, if you're following one of those, that's cool. But if you're, if you're trying to read something devotionally and you're trying to connect with the heart of God, make sure you're reading until something grabs your attention. And, and sometimes it'll be a word or a phrase or an idea and, and you don't know necessarily why. That's usually God poking at you. He wants you to ask a question about it. So make sure that you're reading until um, something gets your attention. Um, and then don't be afraid to return to it repeatedly. You know, if that thing caught your attention and you're, you still don't necessarily know why, go back and reread it in a day or two. Um, again, this is an invitation. God speaking to you through his word if something is resonating within your heart. And I'll always be open to more. You know, be open to the fact that God may have one thing for you today and something else different for you tomorrow in the same passage. There are often times that I'll read a passage that, that I know that I have seen multiple times over the course of my discipleship, over the course of the years, and something new will, will speak to me like it didn't before. Has that happened to you? I, I think most people have had that uh, when that occurs. Um, so there's likely this reason why something is is resonating with you, the best thing to do is just ask God. God, what's going on with this particular, this particular passage? So interesting story, uh, uh, happened to be thinking about it because I looked at my calendar a year ago, I was on sabbatical in August. And some of you know the story, I had a particular passage that the Lord uh, gave to me. And as I was reading through the passage, it was like he was speaking directly to me personally. Now, I know, it was in the book of Isaiah, but in Isaiah, he's writing to Israel, and a lot of the times it's Israel in captivity, and I know intellectually that he's writing to that, or he's speaking to that group of people, but in that moment, the words that are printed on the page were speaking right to David's heart. And that was a beautiful thing, because God is able to use those words written, you know, eons ago to still speak to us today and not... Uh, just in generality, but to us specifically in our circumstances. Now, interestingly enough, in the course of the last year, I have gone back to that passage multiple times. I have read the chapters, I have read the verses multiple times, and again, something else will jump out at me. That's the character of God. That's God trying to have a bit of a conversation with you. Now, your mileage might vary. It's okay. That's how he speaks to me, and very often, he usually makes me read the entire chapter multiple times. So, uh, but I'm okay with that. Um, but I know that as I return to those, those verses, and God is speaking to me, it is usually him revealing new things. Things that I need to know about. I don't understand them all. There's a particular section in the passage that makes no sense to me. And I have to ask, the God, repeat, ask God repeatedly, Lord, is that for ancient Israel or is that for me today? Because if that's for me today, I don't get it. You're going to have to help me with that one. And God chuckles. 
I get that one a lot. And it's okay because he's got something in mind for that and I just have to be patient and you all know how good I am at that particular discipline. So, (laughs) but often um, the more we sit with the Bible, the more we see. And I think that our time in 2 Samuel chapter 5 demonstrated that. So I just want to encourage you to be open to the fact that God has things for you in his word. And if we just uh, stick with it, there are new bits of revelation that we can receive from him. All right, so we're going to continue now in um, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And yes, I skipped 6, okay? So we're going to go to 7. And there's a couple things in here that I want you to see. So we're going to read through it. I'm going to make some comment. And then I have this question that I want to ask at the end. So let's start. If you've got a Bible or Bible app, you might want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, If you don't, that's cool. I'll have it on the screen for you. So here we go. After the king, we're talking about David here, King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Man, how many of you would like that? <laughs> right? Yeah. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Now, it's a simple couple of, of lines here, but um, y- you can pick up the gist of this. He's in his palace. You know, he just bought the big old mansion, so he's got it. But he's a man after God's own heart, with, which, remember, is this idiomatic phrase that means that he was loyal to God. And he's still demonstrating his loyalty today because he's looking at his set of circumstances and he notices the difference that, that his circumstances has with God's. Okay, he sees two different things. His dwelling is different than God's, and he wants to talk about this. So let's define a couple of things. Let's describe some things so we know what we're talking about. Um, first, in, you know, in this passage that, that we see here, I am living in a house of cedar. Of course, that's a major construction component of a lot of, of, um, of uh, wealthier homes in the ancient Near East. Um, I'm living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in the tent. Now, there's two things we need to talk about here. One is the ark of God, and the other one is the tent. Well, if you've seen the Indiana Jones movies, you know what the ark of the covenant is, right? It's the one where you open up and everybody's face melts, melts off. You know, that's, that's the thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's a little more to it than that. So remember your ancient history, and you have Moses who brings up Israel out of captivity, out of the land of Egypt. And he takes him to a certain place. Do you remember where it was? It's Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is probably the seminal moment in Israel's history. If we went to a synagogue today, a Jewish synagogue, there's a good chance that we're going to hear part of the story related to God and Israel at Mount Sinai. Because that's the moment where God and Israel became partners. Where God became their God and Israel became his people. And that's where he set forth his law, which here's the thing about the law. And we tend to think in terms of, you know, legalities and court systems. And yeah, it probably includes some of that too. But more importantly, what that is is the agreement. This is how you're going to behave if you're my people. So the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law, is the central component 
to most of Israel's, um, of Jewish history. So seminal moment. Now, when um, Moses receives this, it's written on some tablets. And so God gives them plans to create a holy box, like a memory box, right? And they put that and a couple of other items in there. And, and this is an artist's rendering. Um, actually, I've, I've seen a number of artist's renderings of the Ark of the Covenant, and the one in Indiana Jones happens to be pretty close from everything that I've seen and everything that I've read about it, which I find interesting. Uh, of course, Steven Spielberg is the, um, the director and producer of this movie, and he himself is Jewish, so you know he's kind of got a vested interest to get it right, I think. So you see this, um, this box, and the best way to describe the Ark of the Covenant is to think of it as the throne of God himself. This is where God rests. This is where God sits. It's on this particular, um, this particular box. And that's where his presence um, um, resided, more or less. It functioned like a throne for God. And if you can see, you know, they've got these poles. There's a very specific way that they have to move it because you can't touch the box. You have to move the box, but you can't touch the box. And so there was this big ritual on how you went, you went about doing that. So here David is with the Ark of the Covenant, and, and he's responsible for it, and he's looking, and he's saying, I'm living in a palace, and this ark, this throne of God himself, is still living in a tent. Well, what's he talking about with a tent? Um, some versions, it's tabernacle. I remember I had a professor in seminary. He just loved that word tabernacle. Somehow he turned it into a verb. I don't know how he did that, but it was like, we need to tabernacle with God. What does that mean exactly? Does that mean we go and camping with Jesus? I mean, I'm not sure I know exactly, but he talked about that. Um, the tabernacle was a very specifically designed tent that would you know, um, shelter, essentially, the throne of God here. And so while Israel was on the move from Egypt to the promised land, the ark resided in this large tent, and it's um, set in uh, the uh, tent complex would be set in the middle, and the tribes of Israel would arrange themselves around that particular tent. And of course, the uh, pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night would come and rest on the tent, and that's when people knew that God was present in the tent, and Moses would go in and speak with God. So when we talk about ark and we talk about tent, there's a whole lot of theology and a whole lot of history. And David takes that very seriously. Why? Because he's loyal. He's a man after God's own heart. Why is it that I am sitting in this beautiful palace, but the Lord still has to reside in a tent? I, I mean, you know, come on. David's not wrong in this, right? I mean, there is a sense where, you know, he's... he's he wants something more for the one who took such good care of him. So I think that's an important um, piece to this. He had a palace, God had a tent, and David wanted to rectify that. And it, and it seemed reasonable to Nathan, the prophet, too. I, and I find this really interesting. Um, that They're having a conversation, and um, Nathan, who has basically uh, replaced Samuel, because Samuel has passed, as God's primary prophet, his mouthpiece, um, seems reasonable. So let's go on, okay? Oh yeah, by the way, there's the tent. Forgot to show you that. It's pretty cool, right? <clears throat> I wonder if it was that big, but 
I find that interesting. Uh, there's several artist renderings uh, on this, and I know a couple of um, places around the world they've tried to reconstruct the, the tent of meeting. Um, so if you get a chance and you want to look into it, there's, there's quite a bit of material online. I, just, I thought this was a pretty, pretty good rendering of it. All right. <coughs> so David and Nathan have this conversation, and in verse 4, um, the author writes, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Nathan's the prophet. He's the, the voice of, of God to the people, specifically the king. By the way, whenever we talk about a prophet of God, when we're talking about ancient Israel, it's the only culture that I'm aware of where the prophet actually has more power and authority than the king. And that's kind of the checks and balances systems that God has you know, built into this monarchy. So here the, Lord, um, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Question mark. This is important. He goes on. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. Right. He lived in a tent. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers, do you get the sense that God's getting a little snarky here? I love this. This just cracks me up. <laughs> did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? I, I, think, I think God's a little miffed. <laughs> Maybe not miffed. Maybe he's just messing with, with David. I don't know. I, it just cracks me up, though. But, but I, think, I think the point is, is kind of like he's, he's saying, you know, hold on there, Captain Fastlane. You know, you got to pump those brakes a little bit. There's more here going on than what you realize. And I think God probably appreciated the loyalty, but um, God was not asking for a new crib. He was living the way that he wanted to. He was living in the tent, and that's the way that that he always intended for a long period of time. But what God declares next is really astonishing. And I want you to see this because, because here, here we have him kind of poking at Nathan and David a little bit. And look what he says next. This is verse eight. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And look at this beautiful, beautiful last line. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Not for himself, for you. Remember where you came from, and by the way, here's where you're going. That's what he's saying to him. A home for Israel, a house, a legacy for David. It's a really cool pivot, isn't it? Because here David thought he was going to do something for God, and God says, yeah, I'm not done yet. You, you think this is, this is it? There's more to this. You have no idea. God is making a place for his people and he creates a house for you. So who's building the house? 
who's building the house. I'm going to read that line over and over again, probably for the next, I don't know how long. When the Lord declares something, you need to pay attention. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And I find this really uh, important because the truth is God is, uh, has been, is, is constantly, I don't know how to say that, God is always making a place not just for King David but for us, right? For you and me. He's making a place. And it's not always physical. It's not necessarily a physical thing that God is, is doing in us but he's always making a place. But he wants that space in our lives where he can be together with us. Now, let me say that again because you're going to gloss over it and I don't want you to do that. God is always trying to create a space for us to meet with him. Meeting space. A number of years ago, I was uh, listening to, I can't remember, um, I think it was Howard Schultz, the guy who founded um, Starbucks. And he had made the comment that a coffee shop has become kind of this idea of a third place. It's not home, it's not work, but it's a third place where you can work but be kind of at home and you can have sort of informal meetings. Um, Dan and I do this all the time. This is just kind of the world that we live in. Uh, we, we like to spend time out and doing that. But there's this sense in my, my mind that this is kind of what God is getting at. Yes, I want you to be home. Um, I want you um, to do the work that I've called you to do. But really, there's that third space that's more important than all of them, and that's where we meet together. We're human and, and the divine cross paths. And this is why we talk a lot about at Thrive Church, this idea of chasing after God's presence, because we want to be in that space where God wants to meet with us. That's the essence of discipleship, at least it is in my mind, is that we begin to chase after the presence of God, and when we're with him, he begins to download the things to us that we need to know. So we, we pr- uh, chase his presence both individually and corporately. Um, you know, when we're with God, <laughs> it's kind of like home for our soul. Does that make sense? Best way to describe it, I think. And I think now, once we see this passage and we hear kind of what God is, um, you know, telling to David, maybe in a chastising way a little bit, but maybe this is the reason why, um, why Jesus said that there were many rooms in his father's house. You remember that passage? It's, a, it's in John, and, and right before Jesus is, is uh, arrested and then, tried and crucified. He's with his disciples and he talks about going to this place and he says to them, in my father's house are many rooms. And yeah, there was a song in the 80s about that. Remember that? A big, big house? Yeah, that's a cool song. Um, It's playing in my head too. So Jesus is talking about having this place where he can connect with his people but ultimately that it's it's home and, and that's what God has always been about. It's always about him making a way for us to be in relationship with him. Think about that. He's making a way for us to be with him. Sometimes I think, you know, even when we use the language, and we've got to be careful with this, I, I realize when we say things like, I'm chasing after the presence of God, it's almost like the presence of God is elusive. But that's not necessarily the case. I think God actually wants to be present with us. Um, and so we need to be careful with that. 
but it's really him that's creating the space for us to meet with him. Do you see the difference? It's kind of a matter of direction. It's almost like we chase after God until he catches us, right? Maybe that's the way to think about it. Remember somebody described dating to me that way, that um, <clears throat> women would, uh, would allow men to chase after them until they caught him. I don't, maybe I don't have that right. I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone because that one's going to get me into trouble. So let's just, let's talk about Jesus, okay? <laughs> so this idea. But I, but I do think that, that God um, wants to, to do that with us. And, and I feel like I've got inadequate words, but it, it seems to me that a lot of our time is we think that God is up there, distant from us, arms crossed, kind of waiting for us to maybe say the right words, and if we don't, then we get kind of the wagging finger, and that's not God at all. God is saying, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, ask me, oh, come on, come on. Let's, let's have a conversation about that. Is this, you know, let's, let's talk about how I made you and, and the things that will be satisfying to your soul. I think that's the God. And so he's creating that space or creating a way for us to be in relationship with him. And you know what? That sounds like good news to me. Because that means I don't have to work so hard. I'm not going to do my part, don't get me wrong. But I think ultimately, this is where, where God wants us to be. God wants us to have that kind of relationship with him. But I got to be honest, I got this question in the back of my mind. And it, it sat there for a day or two. Because I didn't really want to ask the question. Did you ever have one of those? Yeah. It's one particular issue, and it's in verse 3. So, um, Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. He gives him the green light on making a space for God besides the tent, and then God has to step in. So here's my question. Here's my question. Was Nathan wrong? I gotta be honest, that bugs me. I mean, there he is. He's a prophet of God, and he's talking to the king, and he makes the statement, and then God shows up, whether it was in a vision or dream or something, and, and the word of the Lord comes to him that night, and God does this major course correction. So was Nathan wrong in what he said? Huh. He didn't consult God before he said it, and he ended up having to walk it back after, you know, the nighttime download. I wonder how that went with David. He goes, yeah, remember what I said yesterday? Yeah, you might not want to do that. <laughs> wonder how that goes. It seems important because um, I think each of us are sometimes asked for our opinions about things or thoughts um, from time to time. I, I know I get asked um, stuff. And, and I mean, there's a, there's a part of me that's like, oh man, you know, that person values me enough to ask for my opinion. Hey, that's pretty cool. But there's also that little part of me that I have to be careful of. What if I'm wrong, you know? 
Because I don't want to give anybody um, some advice that is going to lead them down a, a bad path. That's, that's, that's not what I want. So the, the question then kind of shifts a little bit. You know, how might we, you and me, as disciples of the living God, live properly our faith in those moments when we're asked for our, our opinion or our thoughts? How, how would we do that? And how do we not fall into kind of the sort of Christianese of it all? Don't want to do that either. So first, <clears throat> let, me, let me say a couple of things. Um, this is how I'm working through it myself. And I reserve the right to, to learn something new and for, for God to tell me something different. Okay? It's called hedging my bets. <laughs> so I'm just... I'm not really doing that, but I, no, I, think this is, I think this is a right on. Let me just say that God gave you a brain and he expects you to use it. I wish more people would use their brains. Okay, I mean, this is true. But God gave you a brain that is part of the asset package he gave you when you were born. You got a bunch of them. You got a personality and you got, um, you got a socioeconomic status. You got the parents that you got. You got the health that you got and you got your brains. Might be a few more things in there, but that's what I can think of at the moment. But he gave you a brain. He expects you to use it. I think that's an important thing. And we might not get everything right all the time. But it is an asset, and you should employ it. Use your brain. Use your head. <laughs> and the corollary to, corollary to that is use your words. So I think half the time we were using our brains, but we're not actually communicating things well. That's a story for another day. <clears throat> so that's first. God gave us brains. He expects us to use it. Here's the second thing. You've got to trust that God is good. And he loves you. You've got to trust that. Think of it. Nathan observed what God was doing in David's life. And he agreed with what David was planning to do. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you, you have a certain amount of experience with another person. You know them to a certain extent. Of course, you don't know them like God does, but the point is, is that you're in a conversation with them. You have a brain. You trust that God is good. And, and here Nathan is saying, man, the Lord just seems to be with you whatever you do. So yeah, go ahead. Why wouldn't you do that? And here's the thing. We all would like to think that we would give different advice than Nathan, but we wouldn't. We would give the same advice. The only reason why you give something different is because you've read the end of the story. But Nathan didn't at that, at that particular moment. And so he, he agrees with, with David's thought process. Well, yeah, a tent, palace, do something nice for God for a change. And you probably would have done the same thing. You would have agreed with him. But here's the, here's the, little, the little shift that you have to, to remember. God, out of his goodness, steps in and corrects the course. It was out of God's goodness that he did that. 
He didn't want to waste David's time or his energy or whatever else that, you know, he was planning on doing. I mean, David needed those resources for something else. And God's like, look, this isn't about what you're doing for me. This is about what I'm doing for you and what I'm doing for Israel. Let's get this corrected. But it was out of his goodness. He wasn't making fun of Nathan. And he certainly wasn't making fun of David. I mean, he was messing with him a little bit because, like I said, there was a little snarky going on there. But the point is, is that this is out of God's goodness that he course corrects. We are allowed, even encouraged, to observe and to utilize our thinking. Now, don't get me wrong. Checking in with God is a really good idea. You know, if you, if you have something like that. But here's the thing. Um, you don't ask God what you're supposed to eat for dinner every night, do you? And you don't ask God if you should mow the grass. Usually the HOA will tell you when you need to do that, right? <laughs> and little things like that, um, you know, whether you should, you know, buy certain whatever, you know, I, a lot of that stuff, I, God leaves that up to you. And he allows for, for preferences. There's kind of this idea that, that God has this blueprint for everybody's life and by the time I'm 25, I need to be at point A and by the time I'm 36, I need to be at point B. I don't believe any of that. I think what happens is that God cuts a pretty wide swath through the jungle and allows for personal preferences. Now, he probably has an idea for you and he's, he's made you and he's given you that brain and he's given you that asset package and he expects you to use it, but he also probably has a pretty good idea how you can do it, Right? Since he made you, he's got an idea for how to do that and checking in with him is, is very good. But there are certain things that we make decisions about every single day that don't make the prayer list. It's the way of, of life, I think. And I think all of this might be what the New Testament writer Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Colossian church. I want to show you this. It's just a short little passage. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And a friend of mine who pointed this passage out to me, and essentially what, what Paul is writing here is, we're praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. That's what we're praying for, that you would have an idea of the character and the nature and purposes of God so that you could continue to follow him and that you would have wisdom and spiritual understanding that God just kind of gives you as you go along. Start with what you have and trust in the goodness of God to course correct when you need it. Do you see the difference? So my friend pointed this out and he said, you know what, when I'm checking in with God about something and I don't hear anything back from him, I presume that he has already given me wisdom and understanding so that I can make some decisions now and I trust that he's going to tell me otherwise when the time is right. That's discipleship. That's having a life yielded to what the Spirit wants to do. You have a certain amount of wisdom and understanding and the more you check in with God and the more you spend time with him and the more you understand his nature, his character, his love, his grace, his mercy, the more you understand that, the more you are filled up with your knowledge of him. 
but then you also can trust that if you're going the wrong direction, he's going to tell you. Because sometimes we don't get it all right. Nathan didn't get it right, but he wasn't necessarily wrong. See what I mean? And God had to step in and help them both out. I don't know about you, but I find that a very comforting thought. As you connect with God, you're filled with knowledge. We think and we act trusting God to supply what we don't know and, in, and to intervene or teach us a lesson. Some of us just have a lot more lessons to learn than others, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I, I like this passage. I like this story for the simple reason that that. I think God has a bit of a sense of humor, which I think is funny. But I also know that you have two godly men, two godly characters, David who is loyal and Nathan who is a prophet of God. And they move in a direction that they think is right and they trust that God is good and will course correct, and he does. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for you. So my heart is that as disciples of God, you spend time with him, that you spend time in his presence learning those characteristics, that nature of God, so that you can be filled up and you can learn to trust him more and more. Sometimes I think when we talk about about God, I'm trying to think of a good illustration, but it's almost like we, we treat life with God of standing on one of those high platforms of the pool and somebody going poof and pushing you off. And there you are flailing. I would be flailing. There would be none of this twisting and diving stuff. I would be flaming. I would probably be using language that I wasn't supposed to be using as a preacher or as a Christian. But the point is, is that you've got all of this stuff going on. That's not God. That's not the right understanding of God, but rather God is the one who is teaching us and developing us and, we're, and showing us his goodness and grace and so we can grab him by the hand and he can lead us forward and we can trust him for that. He knows where you are. He knows what you don't know. He knows your insecurities. Yeah, you got some. We all do. And he loves you anyway, and he wants you to develop out of those things. That's the goodness of God. And that's an encouraging thought. So as you go about your business this week, whatever that happens to be, and maybe you're faced with one of those things that kind of makes your stomach knot or catches your breath, or one of those things you just want to avoid. That's the moment where you say, okay, God, here's what I know to be true. This is the course that I think I'm going to follow. I'm going to trust that you're good and tell me otherwise if I need to. See what happens. And if you have a journal, you might want to write that one down. It's a good idea to do that. So you've got a reference point for how God's working in your life. Let's pray. Hey, God, I'm so grateful for these stories. (laughs) Actually, what I'm really grateful for is that there are men and women in the past who have um, trusted you and followed you and that somebody chose to write the stories down so that we all can realize 
that we're in good company. When we don't know and when we don't understand fully that we can trust you're good because you were good to someone else. And Lord, I just want to I want to testify to your goodness, to your grace and your mercy and to your character. I want to do that because we need to be reminded of that especially in a world that seems to have gone haywire. And uh shows no sign of of stopping anytime soon. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continually fill us and that your Spirit would give us more knowledge and understanding of your will so that we can follow you more closely. Because I think we're going to need to do that more now than we have ever had to in the past. And for those areas that we don't fully get, for those gaps in our knowledge, for those insecurities in our heart, Lord, we trust you and your goodness to move us, to speak to us when we need it the most. And so, Holy Spirit, my prayer is always that you would do the work in our hearts that only you can do. You give this knowledge. You give this understanding. And so we very humbly ask for it. And now as we worship, Lord, once again, Thrive Church is your church. You're the leader. You're the reason why we gather. And so you get to decide what happens. And if there's um, things you want to speak about, I pray that your spirit would speak about it to each individual heart. If there is work that you want to do among us, then Lord, we yield to what it is that you have in mind. And we're excited to meet with you. And we know that you're excited to meet with us. So Lord, very humbly, very simply, come. In Jesus' name, amen.